You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore netapp. Well, I'm excited about today. We got a fun little group of topics here. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. Obviously, the main topic is the Super Bowl. I really don't care. Can't wait for the stupid thing to be over. We didn't win. A team that we hate is going to win. That sucks. Go ahead and give somebody the stupid trophy. Hit reset and let's just get this thing going. However, I did notice there was an article um, about the Kansas City Chiefs. A couple different things for the Chiefs and the 49ers, which is completely coincidental because it has nothing to do with uh, the Super Bowl. But there was an article by Pro Football Network. It says, it's uh, written by Kyle Yates. Redemption Tour, Matt Nagy ready for second chance when and if Andy Reid retires. <laughs> and I, the only thing I could think, the only thing I could think is, man, Biennemi really messed this up. I mean, I don't know if he would have been given the head coaching job. He probably would not have. But, dude, he sat as the OC for a long time. And there was so much kicking and screaming about he should be a head coach and he should be this and he should be that. And so he finally steps away. He steps away. Matt Nagy returns as the OC, who was the offensive coordinator before the enemy. So he lost that job. And as soon as he leaves, we hear about Andy Reid's potential retirement. And after one year as an OC in a different, uh, on a different team, the enemy gets fired. New regime comes in. They're like, yeah, I don't want this guy as the OC. Sorry. So he is out of a job. And apparently, rumors are swirling potentially trying to get back into the Kansas City Chiefs. How freaking bad would it be? Maybe it wouldn't be bad. I don't know. Maybe you'd be fine with it. But how much would it suck if you step away for one year and then the Chiefs go on to win the Super Bowl, Andy Reid retires, they give the OC the head coaching job, and then you have to interview to be the offensive coordinator for Matt Nagy, who potentially took the job that would have been yours had you just not left that one year. Again, I doubt that would have happened, but you know that's got to be just right in the back of his head. He's sitting there as the heir apparent to the throne, Matt Nagy is, with Biennemi on the outside without a job, looking at the situation going, you've got to be freaking kidding me. (laughs) You have got to be kidding me. And now here's the other thing. It's getting kind of late. 
How many teams are still looking for offensive coordinators? He's not getting a head coaching job. That's out the window. Nobody wanted to be a head coach even when he was the OC of the Chiefs. He goes to be the OC of Washington, who had a abysmal offense. No chance he's getting a head coaching job. He may not get an offensive coordinator job by the time this is all said and done. I mean, seriously, who's looking for an OC? His only shot might be the Chiefs if Andy Reid decides to retire. And that's assuming that Matt Nagy gets the job. Anyways, I find that little drama to be uh, interesting and entertaining. Partially, the little little subtext, interesting subplot, whatever. Because I don't like the Chiefs, I want so badly to believe that Andy Reid is the mastermind behind all this. And there's reason to believe that. I think he's done an unbelievable job. I think some of the plays and the play calling has been phenomenal. We saw Matt Nagy out on his own in Chicago, and it was a disaster. We know for a fact Biennemi can't get crap done. Maybe, just maybe, despite Pat Mahomes' wizardry, if you lose Andy Reid and you lose potentially Travis Kelsey, maybe things start to fall apart. I'm just saying. And then as far as the 49ers go, there was an article written in the Ringer by Ben Solak, a pretty well-known, um, I don't know, smart guy. But he wrote an article called, Kyle Shanahan is no longer running the Shanahan offense. It says, play action passes, pre-snap motion, wide zone runs. Think you know the core tenets of the offense that has defined the recent history of the NFL? The man who popularized it has evolved. Here's what he's doing instead. Now, I'll be honest. The, the nuances of this are somewhat irrelevant to me. Everything I just read is what's relevant. And I would encourage you to read it. Again, Ben Solak over at The Ringer details um, some of the wide zone, wide zone play action, all the different stuff that they've been doing. The I think it was that the like play action has massively decreased, wide zone has increased, stuff like that. I mean, just it's it's evolved. It's changed. As the NFL changes, he changes. I've been mentioning for a while, there's like different levels of coaches. There's, you know, at the bottom rung are bad coaches. They just, they can't do the job. Then you have sort of the imitators. They can do it, but they're just regurgitating what the last guy did. And a lot of teams like to hire these guys. They'll hire away guys from Lafleur or Shanahan or whatever with varying degrees of success. Many of them are not super successful, but it's just a matter of, can you just do what you guys did there? A lot of times the answer is no, but sometimes the answer is yes. And, and they're very good at it. They, they can call plays, they can game plan, they can do all that stuff. But it's all based on a snapshot that is frozen in time based on what was done then. All the concepts that that person taught me about what we do and why we do it, that's what I know and that's all I know. But the best kinds of coaches aren't the imitators, they're the innovators. Everybody's an imitator. Kyle Shanahan's an imitator. He imitated his dad. Everything he's doing is an offshoot from his dad, but that's kind of the point. He innovated it. He saw what was wrong with what his dad was doing and how it was incompatible with what, where the NFL is, particularly against defenses, and he evolved it. And that's where the Shanahan offense is now seen generally as Kyle Shanahan's offense. When you say the Shanahan offense, people think of Kyle Shanahan, not his dad. But again, that's what's so great about it. It's Kyle Shanahan isn't a great offensive mind because he built an offense. He's a great offensive mind because he understands the principles of the Mike Shanahan offense so well that he can keep those fundamentals with him at all times, but adapt them in the current NFL climate. And I think Matt LaFleur is doing that. I mean, we saw a lot of success this year, a lot of success that you wouldn't really expect to have had. So I'm confident that he is actually evolving, and he's not just running what Kyle Shanahan did back in Atlanta. 
He's not just doing what McVeigh did in, uh, you know, 2017 or whatever year that was that he was there. Yeah, it would have been 2017, 16. It's a matter of understanding the core principles and adopting them. And I think all four of those guys, including McDaniel down in, in Miami, have done a great job of that. I mean, you look at the Rams, the 49ers, the Packers, and the Dolphins, they're all different. And I think when it comes to a defensive coordinator, as well as, well as anybody else that you got in the building, it really fundamentally has to come down to how well do you understand this? Like you have to really, really understand it so much that you can do this. And if you look at the the guys that we hired in our coaching staff, there's a diverse background. You've got your defensive coordinator that comes from what, sort of the 49ers kind of way of thinking with a bunch of other stuff mixed in. Then you have Downard, who is just in this system. You have our pass game coordinator, who we'll talk about in a minute, that was just hired Ansley, who was the defensive coordinator last year, which I've been talking about. It's amazing how many guys we've been able to grab that are overqualified. I think we got a freaking another one. But he comes again from sort of that Fangio system, Donatel, whatever. We've got all these different guys, and you look at it and go, this is incompatible. Why are you doing this? It doesn't have to be incompatible. In fact, the best thing that you could have is a bunch of Shanahan's, but they all come from different schemes and systems. Because having a wealth of knowledge that can understand how to take what my concepts are and apply them to what we're trying to do and against these opponents, that's the ultimate benefit. It only becomes a clash if you can't do that. If you just have different guys that only know those things, it's like, what the heck? This is incompatible. It's not going to work. And I'm excited. I, I think Ansley is going to be that kind of a guy. I think Halfley definitely is that guy. We've seen it. I mean, what he did at Ohio State was incredible, partially because he's an NFL guy. He's never been a defensive coordinator. He's an NFL guy, and he has to go in there and take all the knowledge that he has and then apply it to a team that he's never been to. He doesn't know this team. He's never worked with them. It's just one year. This is his first year. So learn the team, learn the roster, learn college football, learn college offenses, and adapt what you know to this team that you don't know, and to these offenses that you're somewhat unfamiliar with. Now, he was in college, you know, what, like six, seven years prior to the NFL. He was in the NFL for a while. But that's a heck of a, of a task. And he did it flawlessly. And then, you know, obviously Boston College is a little bit different. It's, you know, taking that defense and kind of handing it to somebody else to implement it while you go out recruiting and doing all that kind of stuff or whatever else is going on. I'm sure he was still to some degree involved in, in the defense and schematics and all that kind of things, but this is what it's about for me, and I'm, I'm just excited to have a group of guys. It's, again, it's, it's less about the scheme, and it's more about just a firm understanding of defensive principles, and, and if you genuinely have that, again, I think the more different kinds of schemes you can have, the better. Go get some Patriots guys, go get some Jets guys, 49ers guys, get some Fangio guys but guys that understand this to its core, that if, if I asked a guy that was a you know, Fangio guy to come in here and say, okay, here's what I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you fundamentally what I do, and I want you to seamlessly integrate what you do into what I'm doing. Can you do that? Can you modify what I'm doing by keep, but, but still keeping the core? Pr- you know, because then, then, you, then you have a, 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 this massive mind that extends beyond just this tiny little circle of guys that only understand a certain thing. It extends well beyond to all the different concepts. So you can tackle lots of different problems. I mean, just the wealth of knowledge that is in the building right now on the defensive side is really impressive. I'm impressed by Halfley. I'm really impressed by Ainsley. Ainsley Ansley, however you say his name. Cannot believe we got a, a college defensive coordinator to come be an assistant defensive line coach. 
But we, we got some firepower, and I'm excited about it. And I think that um, if done properly, if they can find a way to really gel and come together and kind of get into a groove, I really think they can do something special. But otherwise, it's just conflicting concepts and confusing football players and convoluted nonsense. So it's, it's either going to be awesome or it's going to be a massive freaking disaster. Here's my Jordan Love prediction for you. I think the defense is going to fall into that category too. This is going to be awesome or it's going to be awful. But anyways, we're kind of flying through my notes faster than I thought. So why don't we just take a break here? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Hit me up on Venmo pack on a podcast. We'll come back and um, I think we'll take a quick look at free agents. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Track put together a um, pretty cool article here. A lot, every website out there has a list of free agency, uh, list of free agents. These are just players who do not have contracts currently through 2024. The problem, of course, being most of them, especially the, the big name guys, will be re-signing with the team. So when people read these articles, they assume, oh, these are the free agents. These will be the people that are available, and that's not necessarily true. And of course, there's the pool of people that are under contract that will hit free agency. But anyways, he goes through 50 of the top free agents in 2024 and gives a breakdown of just sort of their situation, their background, and what their projected contract will be. So the cool thing is, I can, out of this, make a list of people that it seems like potentially could actually hit free agency and get an understanding of what their 
contract would look like. So for example, Chris Jones obviously is at the top of this list. At least as far as Track is concerned, he's going to return. Now, obviously that doesn't have to be the reality, but the point is it's probably unrealistic to project Chris Jones being a tackle for the Green Bay Packers. Same goes for Antoine Winfield and some, you know, some of the other guys that are on this list. However, there are 20 guys that I have here that are potential free agents that are maybe leaning more toward they're not going to make it. So I just first want to read through the list, and then we can go through some of the details. So as many people have pointed out, Mike Evans, wide receiver for Tampa Bay, very real possibility that he could meet the market. Cornerback Legeria Sneed from Kansas City. Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle out of Miami. Calvin Ridley, wide receiver out of Jacksonville. Derrick Henry, running back out of Tennessee. Daniil Hunter, outside linebacker for Minnesota, which, remember, he's more of a down defensive end, which is what we're moving to, I'm just saying. DJ Reader, defensive tackle Cincinnati. Bryce Huff, linebacker for the Giants. Saquon Barkley, running back for the Giants. Josh Jacobs, running back for Las Vegas. Chase Young, defensive end for San Francisco. Patrick Queen, inside linebacker for Baltimore. DeAndre Swift, running back for Philly. Jadavian Clowney, defensive end for Baltimore. Tony Pollard, running back for Dallas. Gabe Davis, wide receiver for Buffalo. Devin White, inside linebacker for Tampa. Hunter Henry, tight end for New England. Andre James, center for Las Vegas. Stephon Gilmore, cornerback for Dallas. So a couple things stand out. Number one, it's like the exact same positions over and over and over again. Wide receiver, running back, linebacker, corner, defensive end. How many safeties did I list? Zero. Zero. There's one interior offensive lineman. That's Andre James, center for the Raiders. But otherwise, it's the same thing over and over again. So let's go through the uh, the list as it is. We'll kind of skip through some of them that might not be a thing. But let's start with Andre James, because that's not a name even I was very familiar with. Um, he was an undrafted free agent in 2019. He has been with the Raiders the entire time. His first two years, he didn't play. 2021, he started off just baseline average every single year. 65, 62 run blocking, 68 pass blocking. Year two. 63, 59, 64, and then year three, bit of a turnaround, especially toward the second half of the season, starting in week six, right after Green Bay, actually, he really turned it on. In fact, actually against Green Bay is when his pass blocking started to really kick in. But he ended the season with a 75 PFF grade, 75 run blocking grade, and 71.2 pass blocking grade. Now, I don't know 100% how much I trust that. However, He's 26 years old, which, you know, Gutekunst, that one year he went on a spending spree, you're looking at 26-year-olds. He certainly was better than Josh Myers was this past year. In fact, overall, I think he was better than Josh Myers has ever been. And he's currently projected a three-year, $27 million deal. That might be a little hefty, to be honest. I mean, $9 bucks a year for a guy that might be kind of a flash in the pan, very mediocre, slightly above average center, maybe. But remember, it's not a fully guaranteed contract, so you're not paying $27 million. You're going to end up paying a lot less than that this year, and then it slightly starts to spike, but the guarantees are starting to run out, so, you know, who knows how much money actually gets paid out on that contract. But I don't know. I'm, I'm going to move that into the maybe column, because he really was consistent as soon as, you know, we got to about week six. He was a pretty solid center for the entire season, and one of the benefits, run blocking and pass blocking. And remember, this is Las Vegas. So you're looking at it going, yeah, well, maybe he was good just because of the quarter, but no, maybe he was good because of the the 
uh, I got nothing. It's not like some great situation that he's sitting in where he's thriving just because friggin' whatever. And then tight end Hunter Henry, I'm just not going to consider. It's not really necessary for our team. So really, at this point, I think it literally just is wide receivers and then corners, linebackers, and defensive linemen. Maybe I'm missing somebody, but let's talk about running back. Um, I am more or less opposed to this as a general rule. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest reasons is there's a lot of good running backs in the draft. If you want to be really serious about a running back, don't get Derrick Henry. Draft the top guy in the draft. Just do it. Just pull the trigger. If it's that serious of a deal, why not get the young, cheap you know, guy with not a ton of tread on his tires that could potentially be a stud for 10 years? Why do you need to go spend a billion dollars for Derrick Henry, who's on the back end of his career, might not have anything left in his, in, in his tank? Now, the contract projection is just two years, $12 million, which, you know, is really not a ton of money. That'll be one of those things where if I find out we signed Derrick Henry, it's like, oh, why did you do that? And then it's a two-year, $12 million deal. It does say plus incentives, which makes sense. We're giving you the baseline minimum just on the off chance that you are just dead. But if you can surprise everybody and play the full season and get a bunch of yards, then you can make more money. I love incentive-based contracts. But again, if I find out it's two years, $12 million, I'm like, eh, what are we paying? I'm like, $3 million this year against the cap or four? I don't freaking care. But still, not my favorite option. Saquon Barkley is three years, $30 million. I think I feel less good about that. I mean, at least with Derrick Henry, you've got sort of the, the guy we wanted A.J. Dillon to be. You've got a guy that has familiarity with our head coach and had success with him when he was the OC in Tennessee. Um and a guy that's had a proven track record. Saquon Barkley, I know he's in a bad situation, but three years, $30 million for a contract for a guy that, first of all, can't stay healthy, and second of all, has never demonstrated, I shouldn't say never, but really not with any amount of regularity been able to prove that he can be that guy that he was in college. I don't like that. Josh Jacobs is kind of the big swing. That's a four-year, $42 million, which per year is the same as Saquon, which is silly to me. But Josh Jacobs is just 25 years old. Now, he still falls into the likely-to-return camp, but it's, it's, it's on the table. I mean, four years, $42 million is $10 bucks a year. That's obviously significantly less than what we're throwing at Aaron Jones, and we know the, the benefit of a great running back. I don't think $10 million is terrible if you think he can be that guy and he's only 25 years old. I mean, we might be drafting a guy that's 23, 24. 25 is young. The other guys, you got DeAndre Swift at four years, $28 million. I know it's lesser. We're talking $7 million a year. I just don't have interest in DeAndre Swift. Tony Pollard, two years, $13 million. Again, just draft somebody. So I don't know if they're going to do it. Um, I think if you're going to do it, though, get a younger guy and just take a swing. You know what I mean? Like, So we've got Aaron Jones. We like Aaron Jones. We know he's not going to last forever because he's like 30. If you want Aaron Jones 2.0 and you just want to like push reset, I don't know that Josh Jacobs wouldn't be the right decision. Again, I think he's going to be a Raider, but I don't hate that. And again, $10 million, it's like you don't pay running backs. Well, you do pay them something. You just don't overpay running backs. You don't overvalue running backs. But we're talking about you know, paying $10 million for a superstar as opposed to $30 million for a superstar wide receiver. I mean, when you start talking 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 million for a running back, now you're being ridiculous. $10 million? And that's just starting this year. It's a four-year contract. So four years from now, $10 million is worth, what, seven, six? That's BS money. And he's only 29 years old. It doesn't even go until he's 30. 
So I know Josh Jacobs maybe hasn't been like the Josh Jacobs, but I, I just, you know, I don't know. Again, my my preference, just draft a running back. I think if you're going to do it, go young, go big. And you have a Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones backfield for a couple years until Aaron Jones leaves. Good Lord. Josh Jacobs. I say Josh Jones, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones. Wide receiver, it's real simple. You you go all the way to the top or don't bother. I mean, I, I, I want a wide receiver in free agency less than I want a running back in free agency. I just don't get it. So, I mean, for example, getting like Calvin Ridley. Why? Why would you get Calvin Ridley? Gabriel Davis. Why? Unless you're giving me like Devontae Adams, why are we doing this? So the only one that maybe could be a thing in my mind is Mike Evans. And that's if you think Mike Evans can still be like the Mike Evans. He's 30 years old, and they're talking about potentially a three-year, $80 million deal. You want to pay $27 million for Mike Evans when we already got a bunch of guys that are proving themselves? And again, if it's that serious, then move way up in the draft and get one of these guys. I don't understand paying $27 million for Mike Evans. I just don't understand that. I understand T. Higgins is something that a lot of people would be thinking about as well, but it sounds like Cincinnati is planning to slap a franchise tag on him, which makes sense. It's just $20 million. And so if his value is closer to 30, it's it's free, <laughs> free money. But yeah, I just, I don't love it. I really don't. Cornerback is intriguing depending on how we feel about our cornerbacks. If we're looking at this as it's Jair and then question mark, I mean, I don't know that I hate looking at a guy like Legereus Sneed at 27 years old. I mean, if you look at, for example, his PFF grades the last two years in Kansas City, uh, his coverage grade, 76 and 74. His overall PFF grade, 78 and 74. Solid run defense, decent enough tackling. Comes from a solid defense with a really good defensive coordinator. I mean, it's not quite like Jair level good, but it's like the next rung down. It's like the perfect number two corner. But again, we're, we're, we're saying essentially bye-bye to Stokes, right? Now, it's not going to be cheap, but if you're talking, you know, a pair of really good lockdown corners, apparently we're looking at the 16 to $18 million per year range, probably three, $4 million contract or a three, four year contract at 27. I just don't, I, I mean, I'd love to just sit down with Gutekunst and just say, do we have a guy in Stokes or not? If not, that is a heck of a interesting place to look. Just, just, to, just to completely lock that down. I know we got a guy in Jair. You lock down Legereus Sneed, we've, we've got a duo. Like, we've got a really solid duo. Another really interesting option is Stefan Gilmore. Um... And it's, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, he's 33 years old, so he's really up in the air, but he's still playing good football. Like, he's not peak New England whatever, but he is a mercenary. He goes to a different team. In 2020, he was in New England. 2021, he was in Carolina. 2022, he was in Indy. 2023, he was in Dallas. But the last three years, 77, 79, 71. He's got a little bit of tread left in his tire, and, and the... The thing that I really like about it, I mean, uh, uh, granted, this is a short-term thing, but let's say we draft a corner or whatever, I don't know. Um, apparently, he's in the market for about a one-year $10 million deal. So this, to me, is one of those we missed in the draft, right? We drafted best player available. We didn't come away with a corner. You know, Stokes has got some lingering injury. Like, we got questions at corner. 
if we can lock up Stefan Dillmore for one one year, ten million, just just as a patch job, you know, until we can kind of figure this thing out. Plus, I mean, you know, you got a great coach and teacher who's come from a lot of different teams, especially New England, where he's learned a lot. Very man heavy. I mean, both of these guys, Legarius Sneed is a very aggressive player. Stephon Gilmore coming from a very man heavy scheme. I don't hate that at all. I just I don't know the dynamic of our of our defense. And again, maybe it could be, you know, Legarius or Stephon Gilmore, whoever, and Stokes and Jair. I don't know. I really don't know what that dynamic is. I just I wish we had some clarity on that. Then it gets really interesting with linebacker because I think all of us are, are our ears perk up a little bit. Now we were hoping to get some Baltimore coaching, you know, staff on, on our staff, but apparently um, there is a chance that Patrick Queen could not be on the team. In fact, according to Spot Track, it's almost a certainty. Now I don't know if we want to p- pay this much money for a linebacker. I really don't. He has a projected price tag of $18.5 million. That's probably too much for a linebacker. But I'm just saying, fantasizing about a situation in which we have, you know, presumably Devondre Campbell. We'll see. He's been kind of slipping a little bit. He seems disgruntled, whatever. Let's say either Devondre Campbell or we go with McDuffie, which I don't think anybody would be upset about. But let's just pretend it's Devondre, Quay Walker, and Patrick Queen, 24-year-old Patrick Queen who is hitting his freaking stride. I'm just saying that could be a lot of fun. Then there's also Devin White. Now, Devin White is, you know, a guy that um, is very... He's he's one of those guys that gets passed around a lot because he's, you know, six foot, 237. He's got elite speed. He flies around. But PFF freaking hates him. He's never had a good grade in his entire life. And, um, I mean, the the spot track tends to agree. They have him as a $10 million guy. If the Packers want his athleticism and want to just reduce his role in a in a you know 4-3 base system where you're just the you know the weak side linebacker whatever the case may be although I think that's what he has been for a while and is still not working um I don't know but I'm just I'm not into it I mean I, listen I love the idea of bringing in a really good linebacker but Devin White is not good and I I can't stomach nearly 20 million a year for a linebacker I just I can't do it when we can pay that or slightly less for a corner, I can't do it. And then uh, aside from that, you've got some pass rushers. Um, Bryce Huff is an outside linebacker for the New York Jets. Um, I mean, young guy, just about to hit 26 years old. The issue that I'm having is that he's 6'3", 255, and he's an outside linebacker. Not sure that that's massively compatible. Another option, though, could be Chase Young who just signed on with the San Francisco 49ers. What's really interesting about Chase Young is that San Francisco got him for like a half a year rental that could potentially lead to a Super Bowl. We'll see. At least got him, helped him get to the Super Bowl. Apparently, he is headed for what's called a showcase contract, which is a prove-it contract, meaning the belief is that Chase Young will hit the open market, and he's going to be looking for about a one-year, 12 to $13 million contract. Now, for a team that's transitioning, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Chase Young is the most elite pass rusher in the world because he's not, but that's a really low number. And so on a team that's going to have a pretty heavy rotation, Chase Young, who hasn't really had a lot of time on the field, to be completely honest, in terms of his snap counts due to injuries and whatnot, 
maybe not being asked to be the uh, the main workhorse. I mean, maybe. You know, my general philosophy is if you want to just take a general swing, you do it in the draft. If you're going to go into free agency, take a big swing. I don't know that this is necessarily a big swing, but if if there's a bunch of just wildly untapped potential, a former number two overall pick that you think you can get healthy, put his hand in the dirt and really unleash the guy at, you know, not even 25 years old, then do it. Um, but I don't know. Then you got journeyman um, Jadavian Clowney, another edge guy. Um, he spent time in a lot of different teams with a lot of different systems. Obviously started off with Houston, went to Seattle, Tennessee, Cleveland, and now this year is in Baltimore. I've been pretty harsh toward him because he never materialized. And I think part of the problem is, I've mentioned before, the first draft class I looked at was 2020, or 2014. And the reason that I know that is because Jadavian Clowney was that dude. And I just remember watching that one clip, because this is, you know, I was just watching highlights of guys. I watched that one clip of Jadavian Clowney hitting that running back in the backfield, and I just thought, this is the greatest football player I've ever seen in my life. He went number one overall, and he just never really became that dude. But if you're talking about a solid 30-year-old that has consistently been one of the better run defenders off the edge, that is still a decent pass rusher. I mean, this past year, especially in Baltimore, now granted, again, stand-up outside linebacker, maybe that's his preference, I don't know. 78 pressures on 545 attempts and 11 sacks. That ain't bad. Now, he's not the guy he used to be in terms of run defense, like, you know, back in his Houston days, but he's still a solid, you know, we're talking 75 run defense. And then the pass rush grade this year was an 80. It's been about at least a 70 pretty much every year. So he's decent. And again, as far as 3-4-4-3, it really doesn't matter. He was in a 4-3 system back in Cleveland just in 2022 and 2021. And his cap hit's going to be around $7 million a year. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying we need to do this. I'm just going through the list of guys that look like they, they very well could hit the market. We might be you know completely content with the guys that we have. Again, we, we've got Preston. We've got Rashawn. We've got Lucas Van Ness, and and you know we'll see what else. But if we're kind of iffy on maybe Preston being that guy as a defensive end, or Rashawn kind of transitioning back into a defensive end like he was in college, you know, kind of unlearning some of the stand-up stuff, and in you know maybe just having a veteran that that you know you can just plug and play for seven million short term, maybe at what a two year fourteen million dollar deal or something, maybe a one year, I don't know. He might be at that point where he just does a bunch of one-year journeyman contracts. But of course, my favorite, not necessarily the contract, but my favorite is Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter has been one of the better pass rushers for a while now. I really respect Daniil. Um, he obviously had issues with, you know, unfortunate situations with injuries where obviously he wasn't the top pass rusher that year. Then they switched to a 3-4, and I think that kind of mess things up. Now he is getting up in age, but he's 29 years old. I think if you get his hand back in the dirt, you could have something special with Daniil. There, there is one serious issue though. He is projected at three years, 60 million. So you want to talk about taking a big swing. And to be fair, even as an outside linebacker, I'm just looking at it. He had 76 pressures on 605 attempts and 13 sacks. Actually, you know what? I'm lying. That's 2022. I was looking at the wrong season. It's even better this year. 80 on 613 and 18 sacks. So I guess the outside linebacker thing wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> but I mean, he, he's he's always been solid, right? He was injured in 2021, but then in 2019, he had 97 pressures on six. I think that was the year Zadarius was all, it was. 
So Zadarius and Daniil were just like the most dominant guys. That was um, the last healthy year, I think, where um, he was hand in the dirt. But uh, yeah, 97 pressures on 616 attempts and again, 18 sacks. So, I mean, this guy is a freaking madman. And then just the, the sort of net gain when you play the Vikings to put Daniil on our side and just to have Daniil and Rashawn across from each other, I just... Maybe it's too much. Maybe we're spending too much for something that we don't necessarily need, but my good lord. Daniil Hunter, Rashawn Gary, Preston and Lucas Van Ness. I don't know, bub. I don't know. Maybe the run defense thing isn't going to be as great, and again, he was better as a run defender in the, the fourth. This is his only bad year uh, as far as run defense goes, and maybe it's not the, the system. It's just a down year. I don't know. But man, oh man, that'd be crazy. And then finally, the interior guys, Christian Wilkins, I've mentioned before. I like Christian Wilkins. He is getting up in age. He's 28 years old. Um, he's a decent player. He's not elite by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he did have 10 sacks, which is great, but 61 pressures on 610 attempts, so exactly 10%. 70 run defense, 71 pass rush, 10% pressure rate, 10 sacks. I mean, he's he's fine. Is he what the Packers need at 64310? I kind of doubt it, but again, Christian Wilkins is a really good dude, and we do have a guy coming over from Miami, so there is a connection there, but the biggest issue is he is apparently seen as some kind of a superstar or something, because um, they're looking at a four-year, $81 million contract, and I just, I can't stomach that, and even DJ Reader, who's the last guy on our list here, um, DJ Reader, not quite as expensive, but looking at like a $15 million contract for Reader. And he is six foot three, three thirty-five. I just don't think. I mean, the, the guy has never had more than three sacks in a season. Um, he is a nose tackle. I'm not paying fifteen million bucks for a nose. We don't need that. We don't need that. So um, there are, I think, some intriguing options, no doubt. And again, this list is going to be expanded upon when we find out some people that are going to be let go by their teams or whatever. There's, I mean, there's also trade possibilities and whatnot. But I do think that there are potentially some some interesting options in free agency. It's really just a question. The funny thing is, it's like I, I can't answer the question until I know how the team feels about stuff. But in reality, what's going to happen is we're going to learn how the team feels about stuff when they start doing stuff in free agency. You know, they're going to let some people go and you're going to say, okay, that's now we have a void for sure. They're going to sign some people and you say, okay, maybe they don't feel as confident as we thought. Or they're going to leave something alone and we're going to say, okay, I guess they're fine with it. But anyways, uh, we'll take one final break. We'll come back. Obviously, we've got some uh, Packers news, some Bears stuff to talk about, and uh, if time permits, a little bit of analytics talk. But we might save that for tomorrow. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, nah, everything's PG. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 510 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
All right, so let's start off with the Green Bay Packers coaching changes, additions, etc. Um, the somewhat lesser addition, former Packers receiver Miles White will be joining the coaching staff. So Miles White, 33 years old, um, initially brought on by the Green Bay Packers in 2013-14, then played for the Giants, the Jets, the Buccaneers, the Jets again, then went to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for a couple years and the Toronto Argonauts in 2018. Then immediately flipped to a coaching career, starting in 2019, offensive quality control coach at SMU. 2021, he was the wide receivers coach at Stephen F. Austin. Then in 2022 and 2023, he was the wide receivers coach at Miami of Ohio. Now, the part of the story that I think a lot of people are missing is the gap between wide receivers coach at Miami of Ohio and then assistant wide receivers coach for the Green Bay Packers. And the connection came because, um, well, I'll just read this. This is from, I don't know when, last year sometime. The Green Bay Packers announced the addition of 14 new coaches who are joining the staff over the next two months as part of the NFL's Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship. Head coach Matt LaFleur made the announcement on Friday. The offensive staff will welcome Lindsey Lamar from Howard, Arthur Ray from Howard, Mike Brown from Wisconsin, Juan Soto from Wagner College, Daryl Agpalsa from Northern Illinois, Winston, good lord, De La Thibodeau, Minnesota, and former Packers wide receiver Miles White of Miami of Ohio. Then talks about the guys that were brought in for defense and then also people that were brought in for strength and conditioning, which is something to keep an eye on, by the way, um, as we, I don't believe, have strength and conditioning coaches, so maybe an assistant strength and conditioning, I don't know. But Bryant Harper, Texas A&M, A.J. Blue, North Carolina, Ike Brown, LSU, and Rendrick Taylor were for strength and conditioning. Anyways, it continues on, uh, designed as a vocational tool to increase the number of full-time NFL minority coaches. All 32 NFL uh, clubs participate each year. The program's objective is to use NFL clubs' off-season workout programs and minicamps to give talented coaches opportunities to observe, participate, gain experience, and ultimately gain a full-time NFL coaching position. So obviously we have these programs in place because people like Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst are seething racists, they hate minorities, and they need to be forced to stare at them so that they stop hating them so much. And then it turns out the program works because then they get hired. So obviously the grand wizard of the KKK, Matt LaFleur, even uh, even he can be persuaded if only there was a two-month program. <laughs> it's a joke because he's not actually racist and the... the insistence on these things because of racism is wildly insulting. And I'm just going to reiterate while we're on the topic, if you think that there is a very serious problem, I just need you to call into the show and tell me that you genuinely believe that Matt LaFleur is a seething racist and refuses to hire coaches because of race and that we need these programs because of that. If you can't do that, then I don't want to hear it. But anyways, minus the racial preference part, the programs are obviously pretty awesome as a sort of internship to be able to get your foot in the door. And it's also a way for Matt LaFleur to assess these guys and find these future leaders. And obviously he assessed um, uh, one of the guys, Miles White, as being a really talented and, um, you know, a guy that's probably headed places. So I think the program's great. I just wish they would drop the racial part. But it sounds like to me, especially when you look at, um, what's his name? Our new assistant quarterback coach, whatever, whatever, former uh, quarterbacks, former Minnesota Vikings quarterback, it sounds like we're trying to find some young up-and-comers, put them in as assistants behind guys that might be leaving soon. And in this case, we've got um, Jason Vrabel, who is kind of running the wide receiver, that, you know, obviously some eyes are on him. 
especially when you factor in people are looking at these young, inexperienced wide receivers playing really well, and you're like, what the heck is going on over there? It's possible he may be looking at some promotions in the near future, and we want to make sure that we got a guy groomed up and ready to rock and roll. Mannion, that's the guy's name. In addition to that, uh, this isn't really news, but the Green Bay Packers did make it official, which is kind of made it feel weird, I guess. But um, it, the article says, The Green Bay Packers today announced details of a search process for the organization's next leader, who will succeed Mark Murphy, the Packers president and CEO since 2007. Murphy will formally retire in July 2025 when he turns 70, the mandatory retirement age for the position as required by organizational bylaws. Which I think is fantastic, because if you actually care about the organization and it's and it's running well, you need to be able to put these things in, in place to say, you know, when you get to a certain age, you just probably shouldn't be in charge of things. But that, of course, is if you actually care about the organization or country or whatever it is that we're talking about. <laughs> if you don't care, then just, you know, keep taking for yourself and just crapping on everybody, because who cares? Things like the Packers are more important anyways. I love that that's in place. You know, it's it's we're not going to let you come here and just sap money if you're not qualified anymore. So we put a hard limit in there. You're 70. Congratulations. You had a great life. Go have enjoy your time. We need to find somebody else. So there's a whole big thing about all the people that are going to be involved in uh, putting this committee together. It's going to be very interesting to track. I did an art, uh, a podcast about it, I don't know, within the last year, kind of looking at some potential candidates. Um, obviously Ed Policy is sort of next in line. And when I first heard about Ed Policy and some of the stuff that he was doing, I was reading through some stuff. The first thing that stood out to me is it sounds like they're grooming him to be the guy. I mean, it's just, there's so many things being put on his resume. Um, it just, it just felt that way to me. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. There are obviously outside hires and, um, you know, college directors and all kinds of stuff. Uh, again, I don't remember the exact list, but a um, lot of qualified people that can come in and probably do some great things for the Green Bay Packers. It'll be a little bit sad. I like Murphy. I don't know why there's so much disdain for the guy. Shouldn't let him talk. Like, why? I love when he talks. He just speaks his mind. He's like an old dude. I don't know why everybody needs to be so filtered all the time. He just He's just an honest guy. <laughs> he's just laid back and he's just enjoying his life. Freaking leave him alone. But um, I also wanted to play this here. This is This was kind of interesting. This is a video of um, C.J. Stroud. I hope it doesn't start playing here. It is. Um, just kind of describing some... I don't, I don't want to over-explain it. I just want to play this, and I want you to hear it. And I just want you to think about the parallels between what he's saying and Jordan Love. Again, C.J. Stroud and Love... I don't know if I talked about it here. I think it was on last night's uh, Packing It After Dark. I talked about the parallels and how close they were. Like, their grades are almost identical... The fact that they they kind of were streaky in terms of like being real good and then took a couple days off and then real good. Um, they both started off slow and then got hot. Here was CJ Stroud kind of talking about some stuff. Um, we got coach week two, and I went crazy on them boys. We lost, yes, but like, yes, I think I would do for like 380, two TDs. Um, my numbers were good, you know, so uh, I was making the right reads. I was moving defenders with my eyes. I just got back to doing what I was used to doing. And then we played week three against Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah, I went trim on the boys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My bad friend, yeah. No, it's all love. It's, it's, it's not, all love. The thing, the thing that was crazy about it, though, is because I had so much respect for Jacksonville. Right, right. And I think they kind of came in like, oh, this a rookie quarterback. Yeah. And like that was the last time that happened. Like, right. we played the Steelers week two. They didn't treat me like a Like, the rest of the season, I never got treated like a rookie quarterback. Mm -hmm. They would just bliss me, bliss me, bliss me. 
I just get like you bless me, I'm gonna go there. Like I just played a game, you know, against the DC. You know, you wanna take this away? Okay, I'm gonna be smart, take the check down. And it took about like three weeks, four weeks to get used to that. I was gonna take the shot, trying to get the window, like sometimes just taking that completion didn't help. But like back to uh you like saying my like numbers and everything, like that was my first time ever like hearing that out loud. So I appreciate you just doing that. I, I didn't do you the service that you deserve. You missed two games. I did. So I'm just I'm just gonna stop it there. I'm sorry about all the audio dropping out. I don't know why it's doing that. I think I got too much crap running on the computer or something. I don't know. Um, but what I found interesting about that was he sounds a lot like Jordan Love to me. So the way that he laid it out, the w- the way that I understand it, because it wasn't very linear in the story. But you know, the first couple weeks he was not treated as a rookie. They treated him like he was gonna be a pro. You know, and he struggled. He had a hard time. And then he went up against. Uh, I think he was oh, Jacksonville, and they treated him like a rookie, like this little punk rookie. We're just gonna we're just gonna mess with him. So they just blitzed him. So he said a switch flipped where he's like, okay, so you know, I always wanted to take the deep shots. I'm always looking to take the deep shots. And then in that game, I couldn't do that because they're blitzing. So I had to like a switch flip. And I'm like, okay, if you come here, I'm gonna go there. And he started seeing the field because they were doing that. And as soon as that happened, it was over. Like now he's seeing the field because Jacksonville kind of forced it into his head. And it's like, man, that's that's Jordan Love. That's Jordan. Like early on, he's constantly taking the shots and it's just, it's not making a lot of sense. And I know there were some times when the offensive line fell apart, you know, toward the middle of the season and there were teams that were blitzing him a ton, you know, like Kansas City again. And you could see like he was handling it really well. And I, I talked about that early in the season, like he's terrible under pressure. That was one of my concerns along with deep passing and other stuff. And all of a sudden he becomes one of the best guys under pressure it seems to me like he had a similar switch flipped where he was put into a situation where he wasn't allowed to play the way he wanted to play and he had to f- he forced himself to understand what's going on. There's a guy coming, I got to get it out over here. I got to break structure and I got to do and it's it just like he started to understand things and it started to come together. It just feels like it's a very I don't know, I'm putting words in Jordan Love's mouth, but I listened to CJ Stroud and I swear that could have been Jordan Love talking and have been like that makes perfect sense. And the other reason I like it is because he's talking about a switch flipped, which is what I think we're all hoping is the case with Jordan Love. I think most Packer fans probably are like, oh, it's it, 100% switch flipped, everything's fine. You know me, though. I'm I'm super cautious and worried and nervous about like, I don't know, you never know, crazy stuff happens. But when you hear something like that, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that 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 happens. Like somebody did something to me, and it forced me to do something, and all of a sudden it's like I get it. And if that's what happened to Jordan, then there's every reason to believe that he's going to continue that. Like he just under starting in week nine, that switch flipped and he's like, oh, I get it now. And now you're all screwed. <laughs> now I'm going to kill all of you. Anyways, I think we'll end with this. Uh, it's another video. I hope, I hope that uh, the audio actually comes through a little bit, um, but we'll see how it goes. This was the absolute highlight of my day. So we, we've done, this is CHGO Bears, it's a Chicago Bears, we, we, we've done this many times, you might recognize their voice from the pod, a lot of laughing at the enemy segments with these guys, but they're sitting down with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Why are they sitting down with a Seattle Seahawks wide receiver? Well, they wanted to talk to Jackson Smith and Jigba because their former offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, who was let go, was hired by the Chicago Bears. So the Bears now have their former offensive coordinator. So they want to sit down and talk to Jackson Smith and Jigba and be like, hey, 
tell us about your former offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. We're really excited. Like, it's going to be great, right? Here's how that conversation went. Bears fans are super interested about the offensive coordinator coming in, Shane Waldron. What can you tell about who they just hired to, to uh, try to get this offense where it needs to go? Um, uh, oh. this, is, this is live? Yeah. <laughs> We're this not live. live. We're not I'm live. I'm playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, good luck to y'all. I'm <laughs> so, yes, that was a little bit edited by me. I cut it off there. He does go on to say, like, he's a great person, great offensive coordinator, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, that was... They even put in their in their uh, title, it says, the silence was loud when we asked Jackson Smith and Jigba about new Bears offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. So I don't know if he's just a heck of an actor or what, but he just flat out dead silent. He's looking around going, um, kind of rubbing his pants, looking at the guy next to him. And he's like, this is live? And like, yes. Is <laughs> in like, yes, it's, it's, this is being recorded. And he's like, well, good luck, uh, you know. And then there was this. This is like a post, like after he met with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, they got together and discussed his reaction. Are we live? <laughs> are, are, we, are we live? Noel, kind of. Is this live? So, sort of. Actually, now, yes, we are Now live. this is live. Okay. Now, now it is live. That was... Uh, we apologize. I, I, I apologize. I, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know what we should... That, what was Let's wrong be- with him, Shane? Sorry, that was this question that we should ask for you all, for us. Yeah, I, look, I <laughs> never had a reaction like that ever. I, I, in, uh, all, in all the years we've been doing this, like that, th- I'm not gonna lie, that threw me off, and not a 100% happy about how I handled it. I, I feel like there was definitely probably follow- the better follow-up question that could have been answered there, um, but that was certainly not the reaction to mentioning Shane Waldron that I thought we were going to get. Um, so I don't I don't know what to make of it. I do think the context is important. He's He was a rookie. He was only with them for one year. Um, well, some of the research that I did behind the scenes afterwards on it, he is not, from what from what I understand, like when we're going to talk to Tim Belsero, he's going to speak very well with Shane Waldron a little bit later in the show. But I've also heard from different people that he is not exactly Mr. Front of the Room guy. He's not, he is not a head. All right. I will spare you from all the freaking audio dropping out nonsense, but it's just, it's just constant excuse making. Like, well, I mean, you know, he's a rookie, so maybe he doesn't know what he's like kind of thing. And also like, he's not like a, you know, he doesn't like talk to the guys, I I guess. So we'll kind of, but they are obviously, it's amazing. It's amazing just watching Bears fans and and these Bears media people. Like it's just constantly trying to make something positive happen, and you're just getting smacked in the face over and over. Like something so simple. This was a softball question to Jackson Smith and Jigba. This was an easy like just make us feel good. Tell me that he's amazing. And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, a player will just flat out lie. Even if it's not true, they'll just lie. And they'll just be like, oh, yeah, Shane's a, he's a good dude. You know, you, you do the coach speak thing. He's a great dude. Uh, you know, I, I think he's going to get along great with what you guys have got going on there. Uh, he did a lot of great things in Seattle. So I look forward to seeing how things turn out. You know, you just make some BS up. You hated the guy. He sucked. But apparently he disliked him in, in the job that he did so much that he couldn't even lie. At least it took him a long time to muster the strength to do it. And... <laughs> You got these guys going like, I've never experienced that in my life. What the heck does that mean? This is awful. 
So, um, yeah, that, that was fantastic. I would encourage you to go seek that out. And again, this so that that was actually 52 seconds long. And again, Jackson Smith, the Jigwood, does go on. He's a great guy. He's a great offensive coordinator. He gets the words out, all the nonsense. And then there is a six-minute uh, rebuttal to that or, or a follow-up to that where they're just tripping over themselves trying to figure out why it probably wasn't as bad as we all obviously know that it is. And it's like, you, you have to be so gun-shy because everyone you hire sucks. Every coach you've ever had sucks. Every quarterback you've ever had sucks. Your GMs all suck. Your owner sucks. Everything sucks. Everything about your organization is trash. And so you get a guy in, and within 30 seconds of getting him, you're trying to get excited about it. You get a former player to talk about him, and he's like, yeah, about that. So glad that freaking guy is gone. But I mean, but I mean, he's great. Like, you're, you're going to love him. Like, it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It is it is just a it is constant comedy with the Chicago Bears. It is nonstop. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you suffer through that pile of crap over and over and over and over again. I don't know how you guys do it. It's unbelievable. I know most of you have other teams that you root for. Maybe that helps to keep you sane. I don't know. Hating the Packers probably helps because eventually the Packers lose and you can be happy about things. I don't know how you survive this. I don't know how you do it. Hats off to Bears fans. You guys are impressive. Oh, we didn't even get into the past. Well, we'll, we'll talk about them tomorrow. I completely blanked on talking about our new coach. But I got to get out of here. I got uh, to get out of here. You guys have a good rest of your day. Plenty more to talk about tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.